0: What's up, everybody? This is Cortland from ndhackers.com, and you're listening to the Indie Hackers podcast. On this show, I talk to the founders of profitable internet businesses, and I try to get a sense of what it's like to be in their shoes. How do they get to where they are today? How do they make decisions, both in their companies and in their personal lives? And what exactly makes their businesses tick? And The goal here, as always, is so that the rest of us can learn from their examples and go on to build our own profitable internet businesses. Today we're going to discuss a very important topic. Work life balance and productivity as a founder. And joining me are two very special guests. Neither of them needs an introduction, but they both certainly deserve one. Uh, Natalie Nagel is a former guest on the Indie Hackers podcast. You might remember her from episode number 90, which is one of my favorites. Natalie is the CEO and founder of Wildbit, a bootstrapped and profitable software business with uh, unusual longevity. She's been doing this for 20 years now and generates many millions of dollars in revenue for multiple products, including Postmark, which I happen to think is the best transactional email service. I use it for indie hackers to send millions of emails every month. So Natalie, thank you for Postmark and welcome back to the show.
1: Thanks Cortland, I'm so excited to be here.
0: We are also joined by David Heinemeyer Hansen, better known by many as DHH on the internet. David is the founder and CTO of Basecamp, another bootstrapped and profitable software business that does many millions in revenue and has been (laughs) influential for decades. Uh, David is also the creator of Ruby on Rails, the popular programming framework. He's a New York Times bestselling author. He's a professional race car driver who took first place in his class at the 24 Hours of Le Mans. He is also one of the primary reasons why indie hackers exist. I can say uh, without a doubt, there would be no indie hackers if David's talks and his writings had inspired me. 11 or 12 years ago had not happened. So, David, thank you for the inspiration and welcome to the show. Well, you're too kind and thanks for having me here. I can't wait to talk about this. Yeah, let's, let's jump right in. David, you are an outspoken critic of the hustle culture that has almost become traditional wisdom in the tech industry, which is that if you want to build a company, it's hard. And it's so hard, in fact, that success requires going through the grind and putting in excessive hours. Uh, what's wrong with this picture and your view?
2: Well, start with just my own personal experience, which was one I could not recognize in that image. When we started Basecamp back in 2003, we sort of went the other way around. Basecamp started as a side project. So rather than pouring in like twice the normal working hours, we poured in about a fourth or third of the normal working hours. The version of Basecamp that still operates today for tens of thousands of happy customers that has been around for 16 years and made over a quarter of a billion dollars was written on 10 hours a week. That was how much time I dedicated to sort of the technical underpinnings of the, the system when we got started. And I thought when I transitioned from working 10 hours a week to 40 hours a week, that holy shit, what am I gonna do with all this time? Right. Like 40 hours a week seemed like such an enormous amount of time to someone who had I'd gone to Copenhagen business school, I'd had other clients, and then we did this thing on the side. So transitioning into to the 40 hour work week was already a bit of a an abrupt or harsh transition. And one where I thought like there was just plenty of time. I couldn't even use 40 hours a week. I still can't, seriously. I mean, when I look at my day to day. I can't use 40 hours productively in sort of the sense of, can I work creatively for 40 hours a week? Absolutely not. I can work creatively, a great day for me, a wonderful day, a home run day is four to five hours of concerted creative effort, deep work, deep thinking, programming, that kind of stuff, right? And then I, there's still hours left over to do all the other stuff, to to send email, to, to talk to the team, to figure out what we should do next. So when I hear these stories, and they're not even really stories, they're posted as requirements. When I hear these requirements, that unless you work 80 hours a week, unless you do all this, you're bound to fail, you're not really serious, you're just running a lifestyle business, all these other bullshit derogatory terms for working, sane, reasonable hours, like the the amount of hours that, I mean, workers fought very long and very hard to be able to secure this idea of eight hours for work, eight hours for play and eight hours for sleep. Like I didn't make that shit up. Right. Like, It wasn't like a DHH invention that we should work 40 hour work weeks. That was just established conventional wisdom for a good reason. First, it was studied ad nauseum by all sorts of people in in sort of the business world, and not for benign reasons. They were studied for productivity reasons. Like the example I always give is, is Henry Ford putting together his assembly line, going, "Do you know what? Forty hours a week is the right number of hours. If I make workers work fifty hours a week, I get cars that are broken and need to be returned and need to be fixed. And if um, we work forty hours a week, do you know what? That kind of pans out." So. I'm just leaning on that, right? Like, no inventions here, nothing sort of great insight. Just leaning on the fact that, like, first of all, this was what we did for about 70 years in terms of executive approach to to business. And then I I grew up in a country called Denmark where no one worked 80-hour weeks. Like, literally, I knew no one. Like, number is zero of the number of people until I was about in my early to mid-20s and I started hearing about SiliconValley.com, boom. I never heard of these ways of working. So to hear that that's a requirement to start a business, it just like, it just bounced off my skull. Like that, that, that is obviously preposterous. And then to hear people actually believe it, I just went, I mean, this is bananas. And this sense of this is bananas was actually more or less the title of our latest book. It doesn't have to be crazy at work. It, it could have been called, it doesn't have to be bananas, right? Like, it doesn't have to be crazy at work. And we put forward an idea, basically just recounting our own experience. Hey, you can work 40 hours a week. You can build a great business that does hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue or less. Like that's not even an interesting bar to me. Just this uh, permission really to say, you can be an entrepreneur, you can be a startup person and also have other things in your life. Like I keep, for a while... One of the things that inspired the book was, I kept seeing these tweets. Like, um, if you wanna be a successful startup founder, you gotta pick two out of five. Either you can sleep, or this. you can exercise, yeah. or you can have like a life, or you're gonna crush it at business, right? And it just went like, this is so stupid. <laughs> like literally stupid, as in dumb, unintelligent, right? And I just, I can't stand it. So, all right, I'll just stop there. <laughs>
1: I don't have any voices that's kind of it's gonna be so disappointing I it's funny you said uh, you max out at four to five hours of creative work right one of the things that we like obsess about on our team is this the ability to really allow our team to maximize the time when they can get that deep work done like that's my everything my whole brain functions around this. And the science shows there's no more than you can't do the the best brains in the world can't do more than four hours. You know, you're your people who think for a living, right? Your writers, your, your creatives, right? They can't do more than four hours. And it's actually why we ended up with a 32-hour work week because we were like, well, what the hell are we doing for the rest of the time, right? How much meetings do you have? How many things do you actually need to do outside of your work that you're hired to do, this deep work, this unique ability that we all have as knowledge workers. And I think for the most part, I don't disagree with anything that you've said. I think that the big challenge that I have from our experience is that in the early days, uh, without the support of a team, I think starting a business to us was, I don't think we could have done it in 10 hours, that's for sure. But 40 was really, really, really tough in the early days because of just this, pure, this simple math of like, we have to do, write the code. Well, I wasn't writing the code, but we have to like build the software, design the software, think about the market and then support our customers. And I think that support piece is where we always found ourselves shifting past anything that resembled a nine to five was because you spend most of the day, you know, like we always had small teams, neither Chris nor I write code ourselves, uh, but they were tiny teams, you know? And so it was like, you guys focus on this, focus on supporting it. It's going down, make sure it doesn't go down anymore, you know? And then it's like, all right, let's go have dinner and then we will come back and I'll do support, you know, cause I want to make sure our cut. And we love your, you love your first customers. Right. So I guess David, I just would love to know like in the early days how did you guys pull that off? Because I remember one of the things that, so we've been Basecamp customers since I think the very beginning. I don't, I, I asked Chris this morning and he said, I think we were like number, I don't know, like 800 or something, something early, early, early. And, you know, to Cortland's point, Wildbit would not have existed if it wasn't for 37 signals. But I think one of the things that we always found so inspirational in the early days was we, you know, if you emailed support, you get a response from Jason. And that was like, so, you know, it didn't matter. Sometimes it would be like at night, sometimes on the, you know, and so I guess just maybe you can help me figure it out. Cause that was always one of the things that I felt like, I don't know how we would find all the time to do all the things that were important and still do it in less than a 40 hour work week.
2: I think that's a, that's a great point because Jason did support at Basecamp for the first three years. It took three years before we hired someone else. And that was, at the end, he was answering, I think, 150 or 160 emails a day on support. And part of this was setting expectations. And I'll give you a, a brief story. I recently had to deal with two lawyers at the same time. One lawyer in Denmark about some family business and one lawyer in New York about some real estate there. The new, lawyer in New York, the first call guy goes out of his way to say, do you know what? I'm going on vacation, but don't worry. Doesn't matter. You can call me 24 seven. Here's my personal cell phone number. I always pick up whatever it is. I wasn't on trial for murder. Like I was buying a piece (laughs) of real estate, right? Like it totally did not matter. There was absolutely zero urgency. I asked for zero urgency. I wasn't like, Hey dude, so are you going to be available twenty four 24/7? This guy offers up on his own I'm available 24 seven, there are no boundaries. My life is your life. Then I talked to the lawyer in Denmark and there we actually had a little bit more pressing thing. I forget what it was, but it, this is like Thursday afternoon and he's like, all right, um, just uh, want to tell you I'm out tomorrow and I'm out on the weekend and uh, we can pick this up on Monday. And I'm like, the contrast between those two things was amazing. And you know what? I had more respect for the second guy I had more respect for the Danish lawyer who simply said, do you know what? Uh, it's almost 4.30, I gotta pick up my kids and uh, we'll talk about it on Monday. Do you know what, that was totally fine. He set the realistic expectations. And I think that there's so much of this sense of like how much time we have to put in, how much we love our customers. We're just not setting boundaries and we could. And that's what Jason did in large parts in the early days. He would sometimes answer late at night because he'd been out all day. Right? like there was not a 15 minute response time in the early days for, if you caught Jason while he was at the keyboard, yeah, you'd get an answer right away. It'd usually be very short. And if it was a feature request, the answer would be even shorter, It'd just be the word no. And then um, sort of- I
1: remember of, those days too.
2: <laughs> so so <laughs> it was sort of just a, a different approach, but it was an approach that was targeted towards, do you know what? I'm not gonna let this consume my life. Customers are important. Early customers are even more important, yeah. but they will still respect you, even if you have boundaries for your life. And we just found that over and over again, that whatever pushback we would get from someone like, hey, I've been waiting a little, it was such a small percentage. There's so much of this we put on ourselves, not because customers require it, not because it's required for business, because we believe that we have to do this. And it's simply false. I'll give you another really quick story, which was before we started doing product development, Jason would do consulting work. And at the time, .com, boom, like the, the normal approach was you get a request for proposal and Jason would send back the standard request or, or proposal. And that'd be like 25 pages. And one time he went like, Why am I wasting my time writing 25 pages? No one reads this shit. Let me just try try 12. So he cut it down to 12. Same business, no one canceled, no one didn't go through the contract. So let's try that again. Six pages, nothing. Three pages, nothing. One page, that's that was did. where it we ended up. We used
1: to do one-page proposals, that's all Boom. we did. We wouldn't, we wouldn't do them if they were a single page
2: longer. <laughs> exactly, and, and that was the insight. Customers just cared how much this is going to cost, how long is it going to take, all the other stuff about am I going to hire you or not hire you, that was long since decided. So I think there's, just, there's so many of these shortcuts we can take if we allow ourselves to do it. And I think part of that goes with you also have to love yourself. And I don't mean that in an egotistical way, but sort of in an Eric From kind of, you have to have confidence in yourself that's saying, I'm also a human being. I'm also worth sort of recovering. It's worth spending time on the weekends on something else. And in fact, I'm both a better support person. I'm a better product person. I'm a better software engineer. I'm a better writer if I take the time to step away from the work. And that the recovery time is just as important as the activity time if you want to do well.
1: 100%. I mean, the recovery is everything. I guess the the part that that I'm challenged with is I look at businesses as kind of seasonal, you know, and then you have these like early days and then you get the privilege of having people that work for you, right? You get the privilege of having a larger team and then like these things become easier. Obviously, the, the more support you have, profitability helps. Um, but if you, you know, like if I started today, and I say this all the time, like, I, I think we'd be scared to death to start today because the world is so different from when it was, you know, our oldest product is 14 years old too. And so it's like, I, I don't know that I could pull it off because it is noisier and it's harder to get it out there. And, you know, without an existing audience, I'd have to build something new and do all these things. And I think to me, working less is like a goal just in a way as productivity, uh, profitability is a goal, right? And And I would say that if I was, you know, starting out, let's say I wasn't. 17, 18 years old. And I had kids and a mortgage and all these things, and you're chasing profitability. And I think a lot of Cortland's listeners are kind of in this in between phase that they have jobs, but they also have this thing they want to do. And at some point, there's going to be that flip, right? At some point, the side project just does enough to just cover it, right? To just get them to that point where, like, I think I can do it. I think I can jump. I think I can become an entrepreneur um, without having this other thing that's paying the bills. But that's like, the starting point—that's a scariest shit place to be because you're not profitable, right? You're barely making do, and now it's chasing that—that that real, true, like calm and 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 the ability to create this thing that it sustains you and doesn't just like suck all the energy out of you. And I, I do think, at least in my experience, and I try to spend a lot of time with non-software founders because. Just like you, I can't stand the noise. It just, it tortures me. Uh, and so I like to spend time with people. Like I have a group that I meet with every month. It's like manufacturing and, and you know, uh, car dealers, you know, like all kinds of stuff that's not software. And they have similar experiences, right? There's like that initial season of a business where it is a shit ton of work. You know, it's like, it's like, you're just chasing that profitability. You're chasing this ability to be calm and be restful. But it takes a while, you know, and I do. i I agree with everything you say. And you know, my whole company is like everything we do is uh, especially for the team to sustain this this peace and this ability to to create a space for deep work. But I don't know as an entrepreneur, that wasn't my experience. Like early on, it was, you just take a deep breath and you're like, let's keep running and let's just get it to profitability and let's make sure it supports our family and let's make sure it supports our team and let's protect the team. I mean, that's another thing I think we should talk about or at least think about. Like those early days for us were a lot of picking up the slack. So the team got their 40 hours. I, would, I don't want them working a, a minute over 40. And so there was slack to pick up just in the way that, you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe the answer is, well, I could have set boundaries, but I also think some of that is that motivation and that desire and that excitement of starting something new and wanting to get it to profitability as fast as possible. So you can't hire that next person that's going to help, you know, hire your first first support person, hire somebody who's going to be on call to help you out. So you're not on call 24 hours, seven days, you know, I build infrastructure products. It's a little bit different, but I do think that there is there's a space in there, right? We should be chasing that calm and those four. I mean, I don't want to work 40 hours. I don't work 40 hours. I don't even want to work 32 hours, to be honest with you. I want to work a lot less than that. But those that's a privilege, right? That's privilege of having a team supporting me. That's privilege of massive profits that sustain me, right? That's privilege of having products that, you know, I have a lot of products. So they give me some security and r- low risk tolerance. But there is that moment, those early days where I just think it's hard. And I don't, I don't see working more than 40 hours as some kind of failure. I think promoting 80-hour work week, we you and I are in 100% agreement that like that hustle porn stuff is not interesting and it's dumb and it's a bunch of, sorry, mostly white men who, that's how they support themselves to feel good, right? That's how they make themselves feel big and powerful and strong by saying, I work more hours than you work, even though the hours are stupid and they're not accomplishing anything. But I think for the non-80 hours, there is that moment in time when you really need You're just pushing. You're pushing hard to get it to that place where it's stable.
2: I think that totally encapsulates the healthy anxieties that a lot of entrepreneurs sit with. But I want to push back on it nonetheless, because first of all, it wasn't our experience. And it is possible that we have a completely unique experience, but I don't think so. And the reason why I say that was, again, I grew up in a country, Denmark, where I knew some entrepreneurs they didn't work materially different, whether they were bakers or whether they were sort of general contractors or whether they were something else. There was just a, a core, I think, internalized respect for the boundary of the forty-hour from a social perspective. Not necessarily like because they invented it. No, they just lived and worked in an environment in a society that had decided that there was no glory in work beyond that. Now. That's not quite what you're talking about. I'm not, I totally agree with you that there's a difference between sort of feeling just personally glorious because you're putting in all this and it's about exhibitionism and about these other things. And then there's the internal side of it, which is sort of, as you say, the chase. To some degrees, I think they're flip sides of the same similar addiction. Of a similar addiction to the rush of the start of the work of of chasing, as you say. I think that word is is interesting because... I, that word was never something that came up for us, for me, like the chase. That sense of, of like, I have to fight before I can get too calm strikes me as, as, um as just one path. There's also a path where you can start, as we did. Basecamp was a side project and we weren't in a chase. We weren't in a rush. We waited more than a year for Basecamp to be sort of well enough for us to switch over. And it wasn't sort of hanging on by our fingernails. The reason we waited a whole year, we could probably have switched over to Basecamp, like, I don't know, after three months, right? You think like you're just at the limit, we can just barely kind of make expenses or whatever. We waited until there was enough. There was sort of buffer enough that it didn't feel like an existential fight. And then the chase from there was also not a chase. Like the time it took us to go from the four employees that went full time on Basecamp to I think the 10 employees we had, I don't know, I'm trying to remember the timeline here, like four years later. Like you can see that there was no chase, right? Like we weren't in a rush to add more employees, which meant that like every step of the way, it was pretty calm. Like, we were paying ourselves normal salaries. We were paying people normal salaries. We were working normal hours. We were setting habits. We're, we were choosing habits and we were cultivating habits that felt sort of authentic to this idea that like, we're going to do our damn best work in those four hours a day. Well, then let me and ask you something. And then there's, there's just the stuff otherwise too. I'm not, I, I don't want to sort of sound that glib about it, but I also want to say like running a company of say four people, at two of them, Jason and I, right? Like there were two two employees, and then there' Jason and I. It's just not that much work on the organizational side, for example. In fact, I would arrest saying it gets easier for me, it's gotten harder, like the early days, much easier for me in terms of
1: I'd love well, Jason's perspective on that.
2: I'm pretty <laughs> he I actually, I took it from him. It's his glib of uh, response that it only gets harder. that well, has I mean, literally been I'll, our experience. I'll
1: take that, but. But let me ask you this then, because I, I think this is where I struggle because I don't remember like chaos, right? In the early, that's not what, that's not what I remember. I remember this, this motivation, right? This intense desire to, to do this it, thing, right? It, it, I think, yes. yeah, but that's not fair because you and and Jason have built this incredible business and also this incredible following based on your ability to create these moments. I mean, you're, you're, you know, you're on Twitter, you're writing books, you're doing all these things. You are chasing something as well, right? It's just, it's just defined in a different way. And I think entrepreneurs by their nature, you start something because you have this audacity to believe that you can do this thing, right? Like our brains are wired differently. They're not better. They're not worse. They're just different. And I do think that it is a chase, but it's also this you know you commit to something it's like if i was a if i was a violinist i would practice you know and trying to be really spectacular and i would practice like a crazy person because it's built in my brain to just continue to evolve i don't support the idea that we want to run this way forever but i do want to acknowledge the founders that are starting out that are like I go to sleep and I wake up thinking of this thing, right? It's like, I, I'm in this, I'm I'm thinking of it when I'm putting my kids to bed and trying hard as shit to turn it off. But like, I'm excited. It's part of my DNA. It's part of who I am as a person. And even now working 32 hours a week, right? Like I still, it's, it's Chris and I go on vacation together and we have the luxury of being, co- you know, husband and wife and also co-founders, right? And we're sitting on vacation. We're like, we're not gonna talk about work. We're not gonna talk about work, but can we talk about work, you know? And it's exciting and it's fun. And it's like, it's, it's simultaneously, a personal fulfillment to me, and also this thing, this like project that we're working on that's like really exciting and these people that I love. and and maybe that's why I don't see forty hours. Like I might not have been in front of a computer or sitting at my desk, but my brain is thinking about this business. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs will say, like that can't be bad because it isn't this is how we're wired. Like this is, you know, there's there's people who think about other things, and we can have hobbies, and Chris has lots of hobbies. I know you have hobbies, you know, like all these things. but, but it is, it's this desire to do this thing. And that's just to me, that's also could be, I mean, maybe that isn't work how you define it, but to me that's work. That's that's still this like I need to go away on a beach somewhere for a couple of days and legit read trashy novels to like stop thinking about work. But but it's work. And I I think, you know, I think it's okay to work longer hours in the in the beginning and just strive for a balance or a harmony uh of, of those two things. But to acknowledge that entrepreneurship is—it's a—it's an obsession, it's a passion, it's—it's it's an incredible motivation to build something.
2: I think that's totally fair. But then let's draw the line between what's sort of required and just what we want to do. There are entrepreneurs who just want to work. You and more I hours, agree on that, a
1: hundred percent. No, and I, you I, and I agree on that.
2: And,
0: and the, I think
1: the whole—you th- can't build it without working eighty hours—is bullshit. And I know that. And I mean, especially if you realize that in the early days, what everybody realized—everybody has the same kind of trajectories through business, right? They start off and they're just like. Getting shit done. And then at some point, realize I got to get out of the business and think about the business from a high level. And I can't do that if I'm hustling, like, you know, or, or whatever for 50, right. 40 hours a week, right? We have to get out of it anyway. I tell my team, you pay me to think. You don't pay me to sit there and like do support because I'm not useful that way, right? So 100%. Like to do the business, to grow the business, to do something special, to have meaningful work, I got to get out of it, right? And, but, but in the early days, I can. Who's going to do that work for me?
2: I would pause it again. The work doesn't. The work you think needs to be done often does just not need to be done. The the lawyer that says, I need I'm available 24-7, and you can call me any time. He clearly thinks of himself like I'm doing important work here. When I take a call on Saturday, this is to keep a client. I wouldn't keep it otherwise. Like we start telling ourselves all these stories about 100%. what's required and and what's necessary. And the reason I think I come At this with a different perspective is I literally grew up in a society where this didn't happen. So this is why I reject the notion that this is in the DNA. I don't actually think entrepreneurs are that special. I think they get molded from social pressures in all sorts of ways. And I think the American pressures that mold people are particularly harmful. If you compare them to sort of entrepreneurs from, from other areas of the world, like you know what the danes are no smarter they're no lazier they're no not, none of these things right like the the natural percentage of say entrepreneurial dna i would think is probably the same in denmark as it is in in the us maybe there's some sort of bloodline whatever but you end up with completely different experiences and and i think this is why sort of comparing cultures is such an important thing to do and and i think one of the blessings that i've had has been living in three very different countries for sustained periods of time. I lived in Denmark for 25 years, I lived in the US for 15 years, and I lived in Spain for 10 years. And just those experiences taught me that like, I'll tell you, the Spanish approach entrepreneurship very, very, very differently than the Americans, right? Yet, Spanish businesses exist, Spanish society exists, like all these things exist, and it's also, sort of me just looking at the three uh, uh, different cultures, I think it's fair to have value judgments about that. I think Americans are doing it wrong, right? On the grand scheme, I think the the grand um, narrative about entrepreneurship in America is, in my opinion, severely worse than the one that exists in say Denmark or in Spain on all the levels. Not just on an individual level for the entrepreneur, but for the people who work for that entrepreneur. Because one of the things I I keep hearing, and I trust you 100% in in your intentions on this, is, you know what, the entrepreneur can work 80 hour weeks or 100 hour weeks or whatever, but they'll shield all of that from the employees and the employees will just work 40 hour weeks. I don't believe that, I, I literally don't. I think. Workaholism trickles down. And I think the on, the sort of ambitious employees who see what the boss does, they'll see what the boss does, not what they say. So if you say, do you know what, working 40 hours a week and sustainable hours, it's really important to me, yet meanwhile you're, you're obviously working 80 hour plus weeks. People just go like, yeah, do you know what, that's just for show, like that's essentially bullshit. And I need to internalize that if I'm gonna sort of get ahead here i should model what my boss is doing like th- that whole sort of psychology and power dynamic of course is also not something i'm observing or inventing this is just established organizational psychology right like that there's modeling going on and the the way you actually build culture is not by what you say it's what you do and and all these other factors to it that i think leads up to 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 the fact that it's very difficult slash impossible to have an entrepreneur, have a boss that puts in twice the amount of work than the workers do, right? Even if you on the surface say, this is not what I want for you. You could still say, of course, well, in the early days, I didn't even have employees. So like before we have employees, we're going to go bananas. We're going to work 80 hour weeks. We're going to do all the things that sort of need to be done. Um, and yet even still, I, I take a sort of Objection to that. I think the habits you form in the early days are incredibly hard to shake. And they really form these organizational grooves. They can be redirected and you can retrain them, but it's very hard. And it's much easier to simply go into it um, thinking, I'm going to build a business that is sustainable in terms of Profitability, in terms of hours worked, in terms of our relationship with employees and with customers, and we all have boundaries on day one. I don't believe that there's this phase you have to go through where everything kind of is, whether it's crazy or not, it, everything is is 80 hour weeks, or we don't have boundaries, or we don't have these things. And then you end up in, in Magic Land afterwards where you can do all these things. I just I don't think that's a uh, I think we get what we've been getting by the approach we've been taking. You absolutely describe the uh, dominant approach to, to business on the healthy side. I'm, I'm, well, healthy. We're having a discussion about that. Not on the performative, like, oh, I'm so good because I work 80-hour weeks. No, no, no. Just on the internalized uh, perception that entrepreneurs in the U.S. have about what's required. Um. So that's why I, I can't commit to this license that basically says like, no, no, you're actually doing it right if you are working eighty o- hours a week. This, this is all good. This is okay. I don't think it is. Again, I mean, I'm just me here, right? Like I'm I'm talking anecdotal based uh, uh, data based on my experience in the U.S. and then my experience watching entire societies structured like this, and saying. I don't think it's necessary, and I think uh, getting to the point where what's actually important—we have so much focus on like how many hours do we work, and so little focus on how well we spend the time. So, our entire project at Basecamp, and and you mentioned this at the beginning too, has been how we how can we spend the hours
0: that we have better? Because there's such a lack of focus on making just the eight hours count. I want to jump in here for just a second, David, because you're you're talking about something important, which is that in the early days, instead of just working as many hours as possible and working on everything, it's better to identify what actually matters, cut out the cruft, and just spend your time on the important stuff. And I think that's obviously great advice if you can do it. I talk to a lot of early stage founders. It's their very first time being an indie hacker. They've never started anything before. And they're not sure which of their efforts are going to pay off, what's a waste of time, what's important to work on. And quite frankly, you know, I tracked my time when I was working on indie hackers. I had a few 60-hour weeks in the early days. And that's because I also wasn't 100% sure. There are lots of things I thought were going to pay off that didn't. There are things that I wasn't that confident about that actually ended up being very important. Do you think it's realistic to expect early stage founders to not work as many hours and to be able to identify exactly what's worth working on?
2: Yes. I mean, I'm gonna go kind of hardline on this simply in part to play the counter melody to the dominant narrative, but also because it's legitimately what I believe and it's legitimately what I've lived and it's legitimately what I've observed. I think the the problem here is is thinking like, first of all that you can't figure out what the right things are, or you can't analyze your time. A great book that I found, um, is called The Effective Ex- Executive. I think it's from like the 60s or the 70s or something like that. And one of the key points it takes out is don't just track your hours, track what you spend your time on. So let's say you work 60 hours, right? And you break that down and you see where does the time go? And let's just take a hypothetical 60 hours here. Well, I spent like, Twenty hours. I don't know. Networking, going out to coffee meetings, or I don't think or, that's
1: what Cortland was doing.
2: I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> probably guilty. writing. So code. I actually did break down my time by category. <laughs> well, then I'm fascinated to hear what your breakdown are, and I'd be very um, willing to critique the the breakdown. What <laughs> you could cut, and <laughs> <laughs> I, I I also, I mean, let, yeah. before we get into the specifics of that, yeah. I'll just say. This is something that can be communicated, right? Like you can have a fair discussion and you can learn from other people about like, what are valuable things to spend your time on? Let's take code, for example. Is it valuable to try to squeeze eight hours coding sessions out of every day for seven days a week? And the research on that one is just universally clear. No, does not work is less productive, will end you up with more bugs and more rework and and all these other things, which is why, I mean, I really like to program, right? It's it's literally in my top three things. I program an inordinate amount of time for someone in my position at a company uh, like ours, simply because I love it, right? Like there's very few other things that we do at Basecamp that I enjoy more than programming, something that sort of engages me. Yet, even with that, with all that passion, with all that energy, with all that sort of interest in the programming, I realize I hit that wall after the four or five hours. And I don't try to squeeze blood from a stone. I accept, do you know what? That was a good day's work. I'm not done. And I'll go back to it tomorrow and I'll be giddy about getting back into the editor and getting back into it, but also just say like, hey, that was four hours very well spent. Let's spend the rest of the time on something else like talking on a podcast or or, or whatever. Like my basic kind of calendar has not changed in 20 years. Like I will start my mornings doing stuff like this, entering email, tweeting, reading, whatever. And then around noon, uh, I'll realize, all right, now it's uh, usually after lunch. I'll get into the deep work and I'll have my four hours after that to to do that deep work. And again, I accept that like in the US, we look like freaks. We look like weird outliers that are spewing completely unrealistic expectations of what you can actually do as an an entrepreneur. That's a societal critique. The fact that we are an outlier and that, that it feels so unrealistic that you can spend just 40 hours a week on your business in the early days is a societal critique. And I'm just here bringing the message, it's not widely distributed. There are entire societies that are structured differently and do not go through this. And I think that's just worth sort of some reflection. You can go like, how is it that you can have a rich, prosperous society like the Scandinavian countries, or you can have Spain who's even on the other end of sort of the spectrum of how many hours you should be working every day, and yet they're flourishing. They have good lives, they they live, They they do creative things, they invent things, they do things. Like, how is this possible? And then I think you should sort of just use that as an opening at that we're not discussing like Martians, right, like this is not invented kind of peoples. Like these are actual, different ways of doing it and we we look so weird at thirty seven signals simply because we are importing a, a european slash Scandinavian tradition into American work culture
1: so I'm not from America actually I don't know if you knew that but I was actually born in Russia um so I have a little bit of a another culture to also base things off of so it's not purely American although I wouldn't say that I I, I very much uh, admire the Russian work ethic, but they work hard as shit. But no, I, I think to Cortland's question, and, and I think it was a really important one, is there is, I don't know that I could have given you an answer. I I believe, and I don't know if, if David, you agree with me, but like when we started off, when you guys started, we we had the privilege and the luck of being able to do what we did because the market was extremely different back then. And if we're really talking about, you know, this businesses that, we, that we've built, these SaaS businesses that you know we launched. And I think you guys wrote a blog post about it. And that was like monumental for us because there was like a SaaS product launching maybe once a week, maybe once a month, there was no product hunt, right? There was none of that stuff and that's privilege, right? Like we we are, we to, to have these conversations now to say that the way that we did things before is the same way you can do it now, 20 years later, feels very like a privileged perspective to me. I don't argue, I don't know anything about, I've never lived in Denmark. I don't know anything about that culture except what you share. But I, I do think that we are, you know, to Cortland's question, I don't, in this country right now, I agree that we have big issues with how we treat people, how we treat employees, how we view these things. But I do think there's we we're speaking in absolutes. It's either, you know, you build a business working 10 hours a week or it's 80 hours a week. And I, I, I think I live more in the middle where I say like, there's a 60 hour week and you're not a bad person. You're not stupid for doing that, but you're like, I don't know what's going to work. Or you're like, you know, where you're trying to focus on this and on this at the same time. If we spoke more in aspirations to say, we agree with David, right? Like we agree that, and, and Jason and Basecamp and this idea that we should create balance and we should be working on the right things and we should have clarity of thought. And as entrepreneurs, we should be emulating the behavior. We want to see on our teams, all these things. I agree with you on all of them, but for these people who are just starting off, like, I think there is this question. It's, it's much clearer to you now in hindsight to say what was the right thing to work on. I can tell you right now that even some days today, I'm like, I think this is the right thing, but I have the privilege of tons of money behind me, right? 30 people, tons of money. If I screw one up, like, it's going to be okay. You know, I was saying the other day, like a bootstrap business is is invincible to some degree. I've got, I don't bet the farm, right? So it's like a beautiful thing. I can take risks all day long. I can launch products. They don't work out. It's okay. You know, and all these things. And so, but that's, that's a lucky place to be in, right? If I came and told a person right now, like, hey, look at me. I'm doing great. Everything's good. I work 30, you know, less than 32 hours a week. They don't have the support. And I've done that. I've had talks. I've gone on stage and, and had these conversations and people come to me and say, Natalie, that's amazing, but... <laughs> What do I do? Uh, I don't know what you do. You know, I don't know what the right answer is. I don't know. Like, I met a woman who is uh, started a pharmaceutical company. That is, uh, she worked in in big pharma and realized that most pharmaceutical companies are run by white men. You know, and so when it comes to drugs for women, they don't, they it doesn't process right. Like the way that they met, the way that they cured you know, ailments in women, it just doesn't, so anyway, she goes and she starts this totally new pharmaceutical company that's focused on creating drugs for women, delivering them in a means, you know, that, that makes sense and not, you know, the way, and, you know, and this is like an an immense amount of project that she's working on. This is going to be, if it succeeds, like really life-changing for, for women, for the industry and all these things. And she's passionate about it. She's excited about it. And she works so hard, you know, and I've talked to her about it, but she's got older kids and she's like, you know what, this is my life right now. And I'm so excited to make an impact and make a change. Would you say to her that she's wrong or she's doing it wrong? Like, I don't, I look at her and I think like, holy crap, you're changing lives. And I, you know, not that email isn't a wonderful thing, but I built software for email. Like, okay. You know, I tell my team here, like, ah, we don't want to saving lives here. She is, and she's working like a mad woman. And I don't know. I don't think that makes her less than or not smart enough or a poor entrepreneur, I think that's just a person who's passionate and excited about something she wants to get done. And she's going to accomplish it. And I don't know, like, could she accomplish it working 20 hours a week? Probably not.
2: I think an important thing to start with is to divorce our feelings of worth as humans from how we work and that it's possible to be a wonderful human and work in very ineffective ways. I'm not saying that's true of of this story you say. Just if we start by divorcing this thing that like good people can work in bad ways that make them less effective, like that to me doesn't strike me as profoundly controversial of a statement, right? I mean, I know lots of people who are good people who, for whatever reason, don't have the most effective work practices Um, that doesn't take anything away from the mission. From who they are or whatever. I also know, um, in fact, prime critique of mindfulness and life hacking and and whatever is that it's completely divorced from ethics. There's, so say someone who's a, I don't know, exploitive hedge fund manager or whatever boogeyman we can come up with, if we train that person to simply have good effective work habits, um, here you can have a quote unquote bad person who have very effective work habits and therefore very good at what they do. What they do is just terrible, right? So these configurations are all possible. So if we divorce this sense of like worth from someone, like are they a good human or whatever from how they work, I think it's possible for us to to engage a productive conversation where we can say like, amazing mission you have. Have you thought about how you work? I mean, the effective... Executive is, is one of those books, right? Like it attacks directly this notion that just because we put in a bunch of hours, that means that those hours count or that they're great. They may not be. I don't know anything about the particulars, but as with anything, I think we should examine them because isn't it even more important that if someone has sort of a, a, a world-changing, hugely aspirational mission, that they are as best equipped to make that happen effectively? I think it is. And that's part of the critique I'm, I'm putting forward here is that it's a critique of work methods that I literally do not think you get more impact, right? In fact, I think it's net negative. I think once you cross over, generally speaking, that 40-ish hour threshold, that I would go so far as to say that the vast majority of people who end up working 80 hours a week, they are less effective than the people who work 40 hours a week, simply because of all these negative consequences that come from being exhausted, myopic, not removed from the work, all these other things, right? Uh, You you see, for example, um, the studies on what happens to empathy in people who don't get enough sleep and enough being qualified as 80 hour plus. They're just horrendous. There's a great book called Why We Sleep that goes over a bunch of these studies. And one of the studies it goes over, I think it was in that book, uh, it might have been from Rice Science. The book actually.
1: turned out to be controversial for some reason. I don't know why I didn't read it. I sleep eight hours, so I don't know.
2: But I that book But had just some these things often go hand in hand, right? That people go like, "Well, it's unrealistic to sleep eighty hours a week if you're someone out there crushing it, because like, hey, that's how you could be used for hustling. If you just slept six hours a week or, or a night, you had another two that you could you could use for some of this, right? And it just doesn't work. So my critique is is is, is twofolded. Uh, There's a procedural critique simply saying, this is not effective. If you want to be more effective, and who doesn't want to be more effective? We have some things to say about how many hours you should work and and how those hours should be spent and how they should be grouped and how you're slicing them up and and so on and so forth. And then there's a, I can see how it it kind of gets confusing and and we let this kind of thrash back and forth. There's also then a life critique, essentially saying um, on the last day, are you gonna regret it? And do you know what? I mean, it's almost, it's a cliche at this point that like, well, no one under dying deathbed wish they spend more time in the office, right? Do you know why it's a cliche? Because it's true. And do you know why it's true? Because it's been studied ad nauseum. The Harvard longitudinal study that went, I think, like 80 years or something yeah. like that, tracing people from like the early 20th century all the way through to now um, goes through like what happens to people who, who kind of aren't maintaining proper social relations and, and what happens on like the health effects, the yeah. regrets, Like they're just monumental. And part of my critique here on, on that level is I don't want you to regret your life. And you know what, I think you are, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking the <laughs> universal you. I'm not, I don't want entrepreneurs to end up in, on the last day thinking, do you know what, this wasn't worth it. Because the other part that comes into this is most businesses fail. Most businesses need more than, or most entrepreneurs need more than one shot and several of them will never make it, right? Like that's just the facts. The facts are most businesses fail and most entrepreneurs sort of, they never make it. So if you spend, let's say, from your 20s to your 40s, chasing businesses on this path, trying to get them off the ground, trying to do all of it, right? And it didn't work, which is the most likely outcome. So you, you get to your 40, you now have spent your 20s and your 30s obsessed with this, right? Like chasing whatever you were chasing. And it didn't work. Are you gonna wake up on the other side thinking, shit, I wish I spent my 20s and my 30s somewhat differently? I think the odds of that are very, very high. And I think that's just tragic because I think you can get, first of all, the procedural critique. I think you can get to the same place without that regret. Right? So this is part of the package I'm trying to present here is that I think it's more effective on a literal sense in terms of productivity, output, impact that to to work a or let's just say 40-hour work week to to make it that concrete, even if it isn't. And I think it's a much better bet. Because I looked at, um, first of all, Basecamp wasn't the first thing we tried. We tried other things prior to Basecamp and it didn't work. And you know what? I have no regrets about that time because I didn't put in 80 hours a week on it. I didn't trade my 19 through 23 on all the things I tried that didn't work. I had like a string of projects, businesses in the wake of, or not in the wake, preceding Basecamp that didn't work. And you know what? It was, it was fine. Like, and if I had, if Basecamp hadn't worked, do you know what? It would also have been fine. We weren't putting it all on the line. It wasn't this big monumental bet that if it hadn't succeed, we were going to be destitute, which I think is, this gets us back into the societal critique here, is that I, I think that is a driving f- force. In the US, entrepreneurship feels like an the high stake business for a lot of people because like literally they're putting it on their credit card or home mortgage loans or they don't have any of that. And like, if this thing doesn't work, they're really shit out of luck. I don't think we should be doubling down on that. In fact, I think we should retreat from that and say like, go slower, do it more measured. And this is why we put our experience at Basecamp that we've spent over a year. I think it was almost 18 months from the launch of Basecamp. And do you know what? At the time, Basecamp was already a success from like day one right? We thought we were going to have, whatever, I forget what it was, that we were going to do $4,000 a month after a year. We did that after like two weeks. So even on our own metrics, like Basecamp was a roaring success, even the numbers are ridiculous today, right? And we'd be written off as a failure. But still, even with that success, we went like, eh, all, all good. We'll just keep doing our clients. We'll keep doing our other stuff until we get to the point where like, there's nothing on the line. That's the other th- part of the whole entrepreneurial narrative that I just can't stand, is this sense of like high-stakes gambling. I I hate fucking gambling. Casinos are horrible. I want nothing to do with it. I want nothing to do with the anything where the odds aren't essentially in my favor. And I will just wait until the odds are in my favor. That's what we did with Basecamp. We didn't go full-time with Basecamp until the odds were stupidly in our favor. Where, of course, it could have failed, but it wasn't like, ah, Almost there.
1: Okay, so I we had a very similar journey, right? Because like we did consulting, we didn't fire anybody when we stopped doing consulting. So until Beanstalk had made enough money to cover everybody's salary that was on the team, we did not stop doing consulting. So I hear you. All of those things are correct, but that also came from a place of like real, genuine privilege, right? Like you're right. Maybe there is a like a bigger societal conversation around the value we place on entrepreneurs into our, uh, our economy and what we sh- how we should be supporting them better and how these shouldn't be these insane high stakes games. I agree with you and all of that, but that is like, you guys had a place. We are, we had a place of immense, like luck and privilege to be able to say we, we have a successful a consulting business, we're making millions of dollars in consulting. It's like, Let's create a product. Let's see if it works. It worked. It grew really fast, and I was like, "Oh, let's go party time!" You know, like. But for people who don't have that, like I talk, uh, one of the things that we're working on, I think about a lot, is how entrepreneurship in the U.S. It's really, and I imagine it's similar in other places, is really a young person's game. Like it's, it's a really difficult track in the U.S.
2: How, if you look if if for you, those
1: who can't av- see, David's shaking his head no at me.
2: <laughs> the average age of a startup founder, I think, is forty-two.
1: Funded or not funded.
2: I forget what the statistics were. Just that there was this whole push on essentially a data analysis on like what is the average age of startup founders? And it was much older than people thought. That it's a Silicon Valley narrative that you need like Stanford dropouts to essentially do. Uh,
1: That wasn't my point. My point is. Just to say that
2: like there's the the risk profile. I I
1: haven't seen that. I don't know. Funded or unfunded. But I'm saying if you want to start a a product, if you want to start a business and you don't have parents money you don't have a side gig you don't have all these things it's going to like that is hard you have a mortgage you have children you need health insurance we don't want need to talk about that here but i know we, we both have strong opinions on that but this is reality right now right this is this is the america that we live in and like we talk about like how can we internally for our team i have tons of people on my team who would love to start a business and it's really freaking hard and the risk is high they have it's it's easier chris and i were young like, what I, I was a waitress on the side, like that's how we lived. We lived off of my waitressing salary, you know, like, and then every every dollar that went into the business went back into the business, and it was great. And we went, we, we used to trade with the local restaurant. We did their work, and they would pay us, and we would eat in a nice restaurant, and that's how we got to eat out. I mean, it was great, right? It's such a romantic, lovely story. But like, we were young today. I got two kids in private school. I have a mortgage. I have all this stuff. I have parents, you know, like, all these things. I don't know that I, you know, where am I going to start a business? It's almost like, you need something like an earnest capital or like a whatever, because there's, it's, it's hard as shit. And I think acknowledging that like some of these people, like the folks that listen to indie hackers have full-time jobs. There's their 40 hours. And then they're trying to do this thing on the side and they're trying to make the right decision and do it at the right amount of time. And I think philosophically, I believe in everything you're saying. I think in a practical sense, I just don't know that what happened to you guys is that repeatable. Like we were, and and to us as well, like I say this all the time when people are like, how'd you get your first customer? I was like, it doesn't matter. You're never going to be able to replicate that like ever. Like it was 20 years ago, 16 years ago, it's never going to happen. But you know, those things, it was luck, right? Like it was different. And I think that we should be a little kinder to people who are trying to, to do it for the first time. And maybe, maybe the story, the, the, the way that you guys did it should be uh, an aspiration as it was for us when we were younger, trying to, trying to do this as well. But it can't be the only way.
0: One of the things that, that David has said that I want to hear your opinion on, Natalie, is that the grind doesn't work. That any hour you're working over sort of like a reasonable 40-hour work week is actually counterproductive. And that that is really better spent doing other things. You'll make better decisions in your business that you're actually just hurting yourself. And you worked clearly more than that. So I'm curious... Do you agree that the grind doesn't work? Do you think that you're getting any sort of advantage at all by working harder? And, I, and the reason I ask this question is that I think a lot of founders who are actually in the thick of it, when they sit down at the end of the day and they're thinking, you know, I want to work humane hours, I want to work reasonable hours, but I feel like I haven't reached this goal, and I'm pretty confident that if I just work a couple extra hours tonight, I can get through this email queue, I can release this feature, I can get a little bit ahead. Uh, so, Natalie, do you do you agree that like you? don't actually incrementally improve your chances by working a few extra hours.
1: Can I start by, I think something that we're stuck in this hours thing, right? And, And I think I'm struggling a little bit because if I look back, like they're all hours aren't created equal, right? We're not doing all the same things in those hours. So I think maybe some of it is like David and I actually agree on a lot of this, but we're just defining hours in a different way. So for me, to answer your question is no, like I've always said, launching a feature a week late, I will. I, nobody has ever made more money because they launched a feature first or they launched a feature a week before they were, you know, a week earlier, right? Like we we don't set deadlines like that. We don't push our team to like kill themselves to launch a thing because we said we we're going to launch it on Tuesday and it's Tuesday and we're not ready yet. Like never, ever, ever have I seen that to be true. Maybe in some crazy startup funded world, you have VCs breathing down your neck and that becomes a rule. It's not, it's not reality. But I think as a, as a, as a founder, like these things in our experience came in waves, right? Like they came in, in different experiences, a consistent 60 hour week is madness, right? You're going to, you're just going to get tired. And to me, I always refer to it as like a fog. Your brain gets into a fog, right? You're not, and then I'm not making good decisions. And so there's, I, I do everything in my power to stay out of the fog because that is my job is to have clear vision forward. And if I don't have clear vision, I'm not doing my job. And that's what, you know, that's what I tell it. Like, that's what you pay me to do. But I, I think the early days, like those hours were different. Like, I absolutely agree that if we were, you know, if, if our team or whoever was like writing 12 hours of code a day, that's insane, right? You're not, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to do really stupid things. But there were times when I spent, you know, we spent like planning all day with the team, you know, or things like that. And then like, I would throw in an extra couple hours of support at night. And to me, they're different. It's a different way of thinking. It's using a totally different part of my brain. It's empowering. It's also for me personally, it's also this thing, like having support, knowing that folks that are like buying into this crazy idea that we had early on stuck. Like, and I look at, you know, a lot, again, a lot of what we build People rely on to do their work. So if they're stuck, it's like a big thing. So I don't want to go to sleep at night knowing that I'm holding somebody back, somebody who is also trying to build a business and somebody who also has a team and doing these things. So, like, there's also like this personal thing, and that mental weight is worth more or is heavier than like doing that extra hour or two of support before I go to bed or before I, you know, or, I do anything. And that stayed consistent. I mean, I really like, we really don't work a lot, but the hours are different. There's times when at night I'm just thinking about stuff or, you know, to me, working is reading a business book. Like people might not disagree on that, but to me, if my mind is in that mode, like not working to me, spending time with my children, when I'm on vacation, when I'm watching a movie, when I'm reading uh, some trashy fiction book, like I did two weeks ago, it was brilliant. It was like the most amazing experience ever. Uh, that's when I'm not working, but like reading a business book at night to me is working. And so sometimes I get exhausted and I'm like, I got to put it away. But I'm not in front of the computer. I'm not answering email. I'm not. So, so they are, I think those hours are different and maybe it is that reflection on what am I spending my hours on? I've come to a point where I, I clearly understand the value of working on the business, not in the business as cliche as that also sounds. And knowing that I have to set really clear time when I can focus and when I'm most productive. And for me, that's mornings. And so Tuesdays and Wednesday mornings, you can't book a meeting with me. You can't do anything. My executive assistant, she keeps a And that's my thinking time. I might not even open my computer, right? I might take a walk. I might read a book. I might watch some videos of like other entrepreneurs, you know, whatever. Like that's my thinking time, but I earned up to that, right? Like I I got to a point where I I could do that, but those hours are radically different than the hours I spend in one-on-ones with my team, you know, or on Thursday mornings when I have my leads team. So I just think they're different. Like I don't, maybe that's the better conversation is less like work 40 hours and it's it's figuring out where you're spending your energy and what's, what's taking that energy away and what's fueling your energy and where, you know, for today's call, I knew we were going to have this call today. And I said, you know, I'm not going to do anything else today. I'm going to have the space to think about this, enjoy this time together. So I'm not focused or worried about the next meeting or where I'm heading out next, you know, and I brought a book and I'll just probably read after we're done. And that's kind of, the way I try to schedule my time. But so I don't know if it's 40 hours or 60 hours. It's trying to make sure that I'm operating mentally at the capacity that creates clarity, right? That I have clear vision. And in the early days, I can say that there would be, you know, one, I was young. I had no idea what the hell we were doing, you know? So there was like, there wasn't this conscious thought like, oh, I have to be really smart and think about the business. But it was like, okay, we did support here. I'm going to talk to the team here. I'm going to research something here. And, you know, just kind of kept pushing through. Also, I have a co-founder, right? Like Chris and I, we're not we're not one, right? We're two people. So there is this kind of like trick where our forty hours are really eighty hours, right? Because there's two of us.
0: And Same so with David in the early days,
1: yeah. I mean, there's the, you're, you you kind of get lucky. We definitely got to tag team on a lot of stuff. You know, you, you focus on the product, I'll focus on the support and the customers and all of that and come back together at some point and say like, all right, how's it doing? Is it okay? And then you kind of split up again. Right. That is a, that is a huge benefit. Not that I recommend co-founders because I see that go wrong more than it goes right, but you know, a spouse is fine, I guess <laughs> for me.
2: I would totally recommend co-founders. I think absolutely trying to put everything on your own shoulders, not only is difficult from an hour's perspective, like having 40 versus 80, I think it's also just immensely difficult from a psychological perspective. Um, I agree.
1: It's just usually trying hate to hate each other.
2: Yeah, I I, I think that is, is definitely a risk, which is another reason why I would, I mean, I sound like a broken record, but like I I recommend looking at some of these stories like the one I had with Jason, where we didn't start Basecamp like, hey, oh, you're Jason, uh, I'm David, let's start Basecamp. No, we worked together for years in advance, right? So we got to know that like, hey, this is someone I would actually want to start a business with, right? Like we're not blind dating our way into a marriage here. We're, uh, I mean, in your case, that was, you're literally <laughs> literally a girl. marriage. <laughs> and this and was more <laughs> metaphorically speaking with uh, with Jason and I, but just the, the sense that like, hey, it's good to share the, the workload with, with someone yeah. and it's good to figure out first whether that's um, suitable enough. not. Uh, one thing you mentioned earlier that, I also just want to, want to flag is I don't think the world is different in the sense that it is harder today than it was then. I think it's the opposite. I think I would love to start today versus 20 years ago in terms of the reach and capacity to get off the ground. I remember the stats from the early days. So when we announced Basecamp, we had 3,500 RSS subscribers on Sickle versus Noise. 3,500. Like most cats have more followers on Twitter today than we did when we launched Basecamp. Now, that was clearly a kind of uh, an efficient 3500, let's call it that. Like there were a lot of uh, business owners and and whatever in that, and even that took five years to build. There were five years of history from 37 signals starting in 99 until Basecamp was launched in 2004. So part of this, I think it feeling difficult or harder today is a just lack of patience sounds so scorning. That's not what I mean. I I mean that like there are no overnight successes. And that was true 20 years ago and it's true now. Like you couldn't 20 years ago just be a total nobody that no one knows, no audience, no following, launch a SaaS system and boom, there it goes. No, and I know this because plenty of SaaS companies launched in 2004 and 2005 and they're not around anymore. We are the exception, Natalie. Simplify the fact that we stuck around, right? So right there, that's going to be true always. Like the survival rate of a business that lasts 20 years, what do you think the odds of that are? Like in software? Less less than 5%, 2%, 3%. So if we are to impart any quote-unquote wisdom, we have to accept the fact that we are exceptional. Whether we were for 20 years ago or we were from yesterday, the number of businesses that get to live, the software businesses in particular, that gets to live for 20 years, it's almost nothing, right? So part of that is that like, there's only so much you can kind of take from that because everything will be an exceptional tale. But if you're gonna chase the exceptional, why not do it on the best terms? And again, this is why I, you say, like, let's be kind to founders. I 100% agree. I, I, the sort of the hardship of a lot of situations is just unfathomable to me. And I want to be so kind that they don't end up wasting 20 years of their life and regretting it. Like I'd rather be like harsh in the moment and then kind over time in the sense that that this sense of regret on the last day. It's a terrible thing. I mean, writers have literally been writing about this topic for... I mean, millennia, right? Like one of the main things I took out of the Stoic principles and meditations or the shortness of life or any of these other tomes from from Stoic philosophy was this focus on even 2,500 years ago, someone would wake up on the last day and think, fuck, I misspent it. I misspent it. Like here I am, 75. I look back and like life was too short. And why was it too short? Because I spent it poorly.
0: So that's a cheery note. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this is an interesting point about enjoying working on your business, enjoying the time you're putting into it. To Natalie's point, there's different types of hours. There's this sort of deep work, this creative work, that quite frankly, you can't do more than four or five hours of per day. But as a founder, you've got other things you can do. I know DHH, you've got a variety of things that you've done for Basecamp. With indie hackers, like I work on the podcast, I'll travel to other cities and uh, go to meetups and meet all sorts of founders. Like I write a lot of code, I do a lot of emails and writing, and quite frankly, I enjoy having such a variety of things to do. I spend a lot of time reading, just as Natalie does, and I, a lot of this stuff is stuff that I would do for free. Do you think that you're necessarily going to regret spending lots of time working if you can align your work? I guess this concept of work-life integration with things that you actually enjoy doing in your day-to-day life, rather than only having your job be a bunch of drudge work. I think a,
2: a good way of looking at this, I enjoy my job thing is, I I love working at Basecamp, I really do. Like, I'm thinking, I think about this all the time. I think about, do you know what? I could literally do anything, anything. I can, I have enough money that like, I could quit, I could do anything. And this is what I'd like to do. Like First of all, that's just such a liberation. But what I also like, I like um, truffles. I like uh, chocolate and, and strawberries, and I like to savor it. Like, I could buy all the strawberries in the world and I could dip them all in chocolate and I could just gorge on them all day long. I could just <laughs> gorge on them. <laughs> Do you know what? That would not be good. There are things you like in life that you savor. And you you have just a bit of it. And I love programming. I come back to this. I mean, I'm astounding myself. I've I've done a lot of things over 40 years. Very few things have stuck. I used to be like madly into video games. Now I just kind of enjoy them. I used to be all about race car driving for a while. Like, well, not all about, but I really liked it. And now that's sort of coming to an end. I've, I've done it for 10 years. Like it doesn't have the appeal. Programming still has the appeal. Doing it for 20 years, love doing it. But I want to savor it. Right. And I feel like the, the chance of me wanting to puke from it, as in the strawberry case, is if I try to <laughs> gorge on it for like eighty hours a, or, or yeah, well, eighty hours a week, I'm gonna puke. I'm gonna end up burning out on it, and I'm not going to enjoy it for the next 20 years. Right. And this is part of what I just I love this setup where I get to to work on programming for let's say four hours a day. I mean, I don't get to work on programming most days for four hours a day. Those are the wonderful days. Those are the days that deserve like a gold star and they get framed and they go whatever right i want to keep doing that for the next 20 years or 40 years i'm not in a sprint i'm not in a chase like i'm trying to design design life on like the first day the middle day and the last day to be pretty much the same like and this is why i brought up the case about my schedule does not look materially different today than it did 20 years ago i mean now there's three kids so Some of the non-work activities look substantially different, but the work part doesn't look that different. And it was just as sustainable and just as enjoyable in many ways on day one as it is now on day, whatever day it is after 20 years. And it's immensely possible. I all believe that this is some exotic thing that we've found, that we are uniquely qualified or or was just an artifact of time or some of these other things. I, I don't believe that. I think truly objectively, this is accessible to far, far more people than believe it. And this is why I'm sort of so passionate about, because it feels like in the sea, in the narrative of entrepreneurship, like we found a secret. And I'm like, I'm trying to tell everyone like what the secret is, that like there isn't that much secret to it. There's not, the recipe is not complicated. That doesn't mean it's hard. Like all businesses are hard and the vast minority of them will make it to 20 years. But it's not complicated. It's hard, but it's not complicated. And I think to, to me, there's just some liberation in that, right? Um, I think there's there's a there's a lot of comfort, unfortunately, in this sense of well, business is so hard. No one knows anything. Like it's all just these stereotypes we throw out to make founders feel good about themselves. Um, I don't think they always help. I think uh, one of the books, one of my favorite. It's funny. One of the books I've read recently that I hate the most and yet also like the most is this book called Radical Candor. I absolutely, I'm sorry if the author's listening to this, I I mean no harm, but I just intensely dislike the book, like how it's written and the anecdotes and the ethos of whatever. But I also love, love, love the like um, triangle, the radical candor versus ruinous empathy. And I think like there's a lot of ruinous empathy going on in entrepreneurial podcasting and write-ups and articles where we try to be kind by not telling people or sort of indulging them in ways that like, it ends up not being kind. And you are actually much kinder to people if you give them the radical candor. You care, that's step one of radical candor. You can't just be an asshole. Like this idea of brutal truths is like, you're just an asshole, right? Radical candor is you, you legitimately care, but you still tell people the hard things. That's, that's kind of what we're, we're trying to do. And I can only do it objectively, obviously, Well, not objectively at all. I can only do it subjectively from our experience, but I, it, it's not like stylized. That's one of the critiques I often get is like, well, now, well, maybe it is stylized and I'm just unconsciously unaware of it. That's entirely possible too. But we don't try to make it stylized. We don't try to make it like, well, this is this sort of just exotic approach to it. No, it's not exotic at all. That's literally our message. Is this banal, right? Like, It is absolutely banal, simple, not complicated, yet hard approach to business that millions of businesses have gone through.
1: That Harvard study you talked about to answer Cortland to your question was uh, that at the end of the day, the thing that mattered was human relationships or relationships with other people, right? And so I think, for me, the answer to your question of whether you know if you love this stuff, like, will you actually on your last day regret it, is only true if you for if that was the only thing you cared about, right? So I think like in my experience, like for us, and for the team, like everything is around these human relationships that we you know we look at Wildbit as a as a a way to enable, enable life outside of work, right? So work while it exists to enable a life outside of work, right? Everything we do is around creating this like stability and safety and security and fulfillment so that people are better humans all around, right? And it's the same in my own, you know, in our own lives. And it's that balance of spending that quality time with my children and and I'm raising two daughters and we talk about work at the dinner table because we can. And because I think it's empowering to them to hear about like what their mom does and and the ability to to accomplish what I have as a as a woman, but also seeing our relationship together as a family, but also being really excited about the work that I do and the uh, the volunteering work and the you know like all these things like they're all that's the, back to the same thing. To your point is these are different hours, right? And maybe that's where you know it's easier to measure to some degree a software developer's hours than it is in my view, maybe my hours or or another entrepreneur because. A lot of it is work. I don't know. It's all interchangeable and it's all exciting. Like, I don't know, David, if you agree, but like if I'm on Twitter, I feel like I'm working, right? Like to some degree, it's some type of my, I don't the only social media I have is Twitter. So it ends up being work. And so like the people who follow me know me as Natalie from Bit, And so like anything I say on there, I think about, and it's, there's some kind of mental load around it. So even that's work to me. And so, you know, they are differences, but as long as you focus, as long as you're not prioritizing that over people, right? Like that to me, work-life harmony, and this is what we talk about is when you work with people who are self-driven and motivated, right? And you've given them an environment where they feel connected and there's purpose. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not absolving myself from that responsibility. It's my responsibility to give that environment. Their careers matter to them. Their life matters more. And so like if life impacts work and work impacts life, right? Like my job and everything around wild, but it's to look at it and say like, these things have to fit together. They can't be these like two segmented pieces because it's, you're asking for too much. Like, it's just not going to work. There's going to be this really like abrasive experience between the two where I'd rather be like, I want work to just support life and to create a space for, it, but also if you're working with people like you and like others who really care passionately about this stuff, right? Like I'm privileged to work with folks who genuinely care about this stuff. You know, part of that is because Wild it's a place where you're supported to care about that, right. And you're respected and cared for. And I know there's a lot of places out there that don't do that. And people don't do their work because they don't, not because they're lazy, but because they're not being treated well. And so that's not the case here. But when you do work with people like that, you know, it is okay to be excited about work. Like we have this flexible work hours, right? And people always ask us about that. So we have 32 hours of flexible working hours. I don't care when you work. We don't keep Slack open. You know, I don't want you, nobody has to check in. I'm not counting how many hours you send, spend in your seat, right? Like I could care less. Uh, and the idea was came out just simply because life happens between nine to five, right? Like we have two guys who became private pilots and I learned this, I didn't know this, but to become a private pilot, you need to have a lot of hours and you can only fly in very good weather. And so it's you can't fly after five when it's dark out. Like it's just not not feasible, you know? And so, or oh shit, it's not windy today. Let's go. Like I gotta go now, right? And so wildbit enabled both of them to get their license. Not because I'm special, but because I looked at it and said, I don't give a shit when you work. Make sure you get really good quality work Then I'm gonna give you all the space in the world to do it. But let those two things Melt together, right? Because there's times when, especially in remote work, I mean, the gift of remote work is that you're really allowing those things to meld together. And if you can do that, you can be highly motivated. You can work really hard in, in whatever that looks like for you and also have this incredible experience in life where you're making connections. You're connecting with your family, with yourself as a human being, right? Like self-connection is extremely important too. You're getting all these things to work together. That's harmony, right? That's the ability to put those together. I actually really dislike I know we talk about this a lot, this like balance or this thing where like balance to me, right? It's like a seesaw, one's up, one's down. And that hard line, I think really, it really ruins the support that you can give to a human being to say like, work is part of your life. You know, you got to, you got to work, make a living. And also hopefully you like the work that you're doing, but it's, it's in your brain, right? Maybe David's right. And we're not different entrepreneurs and, and, you know, the individual contributors that work for me and the rest of the team, they think about this stuff too. You know, they think about the product. They think of the, we do three, we do these three day weekends for a reason, not because they're more productive. Everybody always asks me, why don't you do, uh, finish work at six, nine to six, because it's shorter days are actually more productive. To me, it's much more valuable to have those three consecutive days off because of rest. And the thing that we learned is like people without thinking about it, the subconsciously solving challenging problems and run to work on Monday. And they're like, I got it. I figured it out. Right. And it's like, you know, their mind is thinking about their careers, this job, this work that that is really fulfilling and while it creates a space to do it while working. Right. So it's like it all flows together. And so I don't I don't know. There's my team like they, they, they read books on things and they on the weekends and they practice other things and they extend extend their skills. You know, I don't want to just all talk about programmers like I've got all kinds of people that work for us and. They do it for work, but they do it for themselves, but they have fulfilled lives where they spend time with their families and their friends and their hobbies. And that's the holy grail, right? You can do both. You can be motivated and excited and passionate, but also make deep, meaningful connections with human beings. And that's it, right? That's all that matters. That's when, to David's point, on your last day, you're going to be like, this was a good one.
2: All I ask is extend that to entrepreneurs on the first day. Everything you just said... (laughs) is 100% true, I mean, we were joking at the top of the, the start here, where we're gonna be in 90% agreement. There's literally a 100% overlap and agreement between what you just said. All I'm asking is, is you backtrack it and allow entrepreneurs to approach life and work the same way on day one. And I'm saying that like with the th- full authenticity of like that's literally what we did, literally what we did. What you just described, that's how I've been working for 20 years. and. Does anyone look at the amount of output that we at Basecamp were able to produce in that time and say like, oh man, you, you guys were such slackers. No, they don't. Because you know what, hard work is not about the hours. That's such a, I mean, no one here said it, so I can say it, it's such a stupid way of looking at it. Hard work is about the intensity you bring to it. Like what comes out of it. Those four hours, making those hours damn count. I work incredibly hard in, within that regime right? The regime of making those four hours count for all they're worth. Very hard worker at that. Very much not a hard worker when it comes to like what happens beyond the 40th hour or whatever. And also, I mean, I'll soften things just the smidgest and slightest of ways to say, when I talk about 40 hours, I'm talking about sort of averages. Was there ever a week where I worked 50 hours or even 60 perhaps because we had some emergency or things were down? Of course there was. You average, but there were also plenty of weeks where I worked twenty hours, right? You average it out over a year. You look at it, and then you see: Am I working about forty hours? That's the the call I'm making. Is that a? If 40 I hours, averaged
1: it out over twenty years, I bet I worked a lot less than forty hours too. If you say that, then I will. Agree I'm not.
2: I'm not averaging it out over twenty. That's that's too <laughs> lenient. Um, I'm averaging it out over, let's say, six months or a year, some reasonable amount of time that can account for the unexpected can account for the disasters. And I mean, as, as you say, we uh, in the early days, I was the only person who managed the servers. I wrote the code. And if the server went down, I got up, right?
1: Do you know so- one of my favorite stories? So when Beanstalk was really young, we had uh, every day at four o'clock, it would go down because everybody started committing their code. And like the server, we, and we used to use Campfire and we had an open Campfire chat for our customers. And every day at four o'clock, Chris and I would get into Campfire and all these customers would pile in and we'd just be like, hey, sorry, guys, give it an hour. It's going to be fine. What are you doing? Like, what, what what are you guys working on? It was such a, I'm actually a little nostalgic for those days. Um, but yeah, just, look, yes, outages, downtimes. I also think if you're, if you're really talking about the ebbs and flows of the business, then I think we're probably not far off. Because I, I do believe that in the early days, even for us, you know, there were weeks when it was hard. You know, like there were weeks when or there was just things going on, right? Like all of a sudden there's just a bunch of things, right? There's lawyers and there's this thing and there's that customer wants this kind of agreement. And you're like, I don't know, should we do that in the early days? You don't know, you know, all those moments. And then there's weeks or months where like, we wouldn't like we'd go to breakfast at like 11 (laughs) a.m. because the team was working in Russia. We're like, all right, look, we'll start at noon, you know, and and, and check in and, and do those things. So it's probably... True that it's averaged. At, if it averages out, it's probably somewhere forty to fifty hours a week. If we're really talking hours, in those and and I also days. do it's definitely not twenty hours a week.
2: Right, I agree with that. I mean, you you can do twenty hours a week when you're just building something, not when you're running something. That's a lot. Um, yes, more difficult. We could build Basecamp, the initial version of the software, on ten hours a week.
1: Yeah, we built other- all of Postmark in tw- in three months.
2: Right, and and the other thing I'd say is is it is fair that like no, I don't classify say reading under work. So almost everything I read, and that includes most specifically philosophy or sociology, hugely impacts how I work, how I think about the business, how I think about, well, life and everything, right? I don't qualify, let's say, Dostoevsky's Notes from Underground as working, even though it totally was. I've referenced that perspective many times um, since reading that book. It's left a deep mark in that. So I do think that that is it's fair to have a discussion about like what actually counts as work. What I count as work for me for the 40 hours is sort of doing the code, doing the one-on-ones, doing customer support, doing the books, doing whatever the specific finan- uh, finances uh, accounting whatever else that we we did i don't count either and, and perhaps i should um, my agitation for democratic socialism on twitter as as work either maybe <laughs> it should count and maybe i am actually working two jobs once that's factored in um, that's entirely <laughs> true but i just going to
1: congress does that count as work
2: exactly well I, it did actually that i did take the the time off to <laughs> from work to to write and and travel for but I just, I want to be careful that we don't give entrepreneurs sort of the license to think that like actually averaged out over a year, 60 hours is a good, reasonable, sustainable workload. I don't think it is. And, and I, I think we, we're that. arriving at a, at a very similar yeah. place here where like the actual work that we've talked about, like what are the things that constitute work? Not notes from underground, not uh, a social democratic agitation on Twitter. If you check these things out, get to the 40 hours and it's enough and it's plenty. And in some ways, it's a liberation to have these constraints. That's what I found. In, in some ways, once we had kids, it became even better. Like the limits were really harsh. Like now my day will start at 9.15. Why? Because I have to drop off my son at nine. And like, I can't start at nine, right? Like I, we just can't have a meeting there. And it'll end at uh, at five. That's just when it's, the day is over because like I have other responsibilities. It's such a gift to embrace those constraints and say like work must happen within this because most people, they squander most of their time. As we said, like in, in terms of kind of, does it go to the right things? No, that no, it doesn't. And if there are no boundaries, it'll just expand until it consumes most of it, right? It's, it's kind of like, a, what is it? Posts law or something, work will expand to fill the time available. That is absolutely true on the broad scale too in terms of the entrepreneur and letting them sort of subsume it. which is also why I think I looked up the stats when we were talking about the, uh, the successful entrepreneurs. The claim was that um, there are far more, the average age for a successful entrepreneur is 40. And I think part of the reason for that actually is that the 40-year-old actually has some constraints on their time. When you're 19, yeah, you can totally spend 80 hours a week or 100 hours a week. You can work in really stupid ways and it has zero consequences because you've got nothing else in your life that you're accountable to. I mean, this sort of a caricature. Obviously, there are plenty of 19-year-olds who do have all sorts of accountabilities and constraints in their life. But there's also sort of the, the, the myth of the, the young entrepreneur is one that doesn't, right? Uh, one that does not have to, to account for these things. I don't think it helps them. I think they end up working worse. I think they're worse off. I think, I remember this actually. In 2005, we hired the second programmer at Basecamp besides me, James Buck. And when James joined, he had two kids. I saw the immense productivity of someone who had to stop work at a certain hour. And I marveled in that. And it left a deep scar in me because, do you know what? I wasn't that uh, disciplined. Let's just call it that, right? Like I had a lot of work-life integration, as you said. Uh, I'd sometimes end up working late in the evening because I took hours off in the middle of the day, perhaps to go to a racetrack or something else. And all totally fine. But like... The end result was not nearly as productive as watching Jameis deal with the constraints of his life. And I went like, do you know what? That's good. That's actually good. I'm, I'm envious in some regards of your hard constraints because they take some of, the, sort of the, um, uh, the trouble of sticking to it for yourself. This is one of the other things I found about working out. I am almost physically incapable of working out unless I have an appointment with someone that will charge me money Same. if I do not show up. Like, it's just not a thing that can happen otherwise, right? You need the hard constraints. I need the hard constraints. And they're actually gifts. So if we can gift entrepreneurs something, it is to not feel ashamed about the the constraints they have, especially if they're older entrepreneurs and they have like very harsh limits because like life is there. You go like, lucky you.
1: One of the funny things that happened when we switched to 32-hour work weeks was that constraint of immediately saying like, oh shit, we have one less day. What are we going to do? And that is, that was like, that was such an impactful thing on our team because we dropped, we had no meetings, we thought. And then we found all kinds of meetings to cancel when you lost a day of work. And I think the most critical part, especially, and, and maybe this is David to your point, the thing that we didn't see when we were younger the ability to stop and ask why, like, why are we doing the thing that we're doing? Why are we spending the time on this thing? Even to this day, I got 30 people and we're still like, why are we sure this is the right feature? Like, what's our reasoning for thinking about this feature? Why do we want to work on it? You know, why is this the scope? Why is this the people that are working on it? And that constraint of losing a day, the big panic for everybody was like, we're not going to get enough done. And I was like, well, I had had such a strong feeling that we were going to be better working less and they were so worried. And, you know, there was a lot of anxiety and some moving and shaking and things that had to change. But I, you know, if we were, if we were to say, given what I know now and like starting out again, you know, the thing is always figure out longer term and then you can start answering, uh, asking why. I mean, I think the thing that most founders don't realize is you, you get on this kind of rat race to, you know, to some degree, I call it like the beast, right? You you start this business, it turns into a beast and by nature, just uh, by design, a business wants to be bigger and fatter, right? That's its natural state. It just runs and runs and it'll take everything out in its place. And if you don't stop to measure why you're doing the things that you're doing, like what is the ultimate outcome? I've been thinking a lot about Founders in general. and you know, you have companies like ours who really care about their teams and all these things, but sometimes forget to even think about themselves as founders in that process and and are chasing these mile markers to some degree that they don't realize either don't need to be attained or they're just too far away. You know, like the joke I always made is like, it's actually really hard to spend a million dollars. Like everybody, you know, like everybody thinks they have to be a billion dollar business. And then when you actually sit down and do the math, you're like, oh, I don't, that's not even that important. Like, why can't I be, you know? And if you start moving backwards and you're like, okay, well, even if you wanted a million dollars and you've got 30% 30 profit margins and you get to 3 million, can you get to 3 million? Probably you could. And then it's like, that's so scary anymore. And you're not chasing these massive things that are like, oh, I got to do this thing and go to, you know, and so you just stop. You just got to stop at some point and say, all right, why do I work? Why do I do the things that I do? Why did I start this business? Why do I want to keep working here? Right? Like all these things. And I I do think those moments of when you answer that, why you create constraints for yourself or you create a a clear purpose for yourself, because it is kind of to some degree, this, you know, open-ended thing that we're doing, right? You can be a billion dollar business. You can be a mom and pop shop. You can be, you know, everything in between a solo, you know, a small giants is like a great book that I love very much. And, and I think that when Bo talks about like the, the seamstress, you know, the woman who designs dresses and she could be as big as Dior and she's like, not interested, you know, and that was it. I mean, there's, it's all these ranges in between, but to get to that point, you have to truly understand why, right? Like why, what, what is this? Why am I doing this thing? And er, in the early days, I think that's a tricky one. Right. And maybe that's a good, a good measure or a good answer to courtland your question earlier like how do you know what to work on maybe you start with figuring out why and what like what are you trying to build here why are you doing it? You know if you're doing it because you want to be financially independent, that number's not that big. <laughs> you know for most people, it's not going to be I need a million dollars a year or some crazy number, right? If you're doing it to be in control, you don't need to be a six hundred person company, right? You could do that with three people. You know there's like all these things that if you maybe as an early founder stop to to say what well, why what what's the point here? Right. Because you get to say that that's the whole point of being like a a founder is like you get to define the whole thing, not just how much money you make, not who you work with, but what it looks like. We have no sales team. Right. Everybody. like I'm leaving money, leaving money on the table. I'm air quoting here. Uh, And that's okay like I'll grow a different way. Right. But that's just the way I've chosen. I don't like sales. I don't like the way that feels. I don't want anybody on my team sending their seventh email. Hey, I haven't heard from you. Are you dead? Like there's nothing that would destroy me more if my name was anywhere near or something like that, but that's just my choice. And I get to design it, but I've had those moments of true clarity, right? Like I've, Chris and I've gone away and like sat down and wrote, copious documents of like, well, where do you want to be? Well, what about three years, five years? We have kids now, right? How long do I want to keep working? Right. And all these things that like you start writing it down and it definitely changes things, but I don't know that we did it very much. Well, I know that we didn't do it in the very early days. It was like, oh, I got to build a business. I don't want to go to college. You know, it's like, <laughs> that was it. It was, there was no big grandiose plan. And maybe that's why you kind of chase things in random directions because it's, it's hard to know where you want to go. And I don't know that at 19, we would have been able to really say where we wanted to go. That changes when you have families and when you get older and see things a little bit differently. But that question of why people don't answer.
0: I just want to cut in here for a second and say it's super important to be aware of what you want because you made a great point. Ultimately, if you're not the one deciding on these goals and recognizing them, they, they just sort of come in from the outside world. They come in from your yes. social group, your peer group, your environment. I live in San Francisco. I talked to a lot of founders here. A lot of people are chasing this like billion dollar unicorn status for no other reason than that everybody around them seems to put that on a pedestal. And so I think it's extremely important to be mindful about that. But David made a point earlier that we never really quite resolved, which is that you as a founder also have an effect on your team. Uh, they kind of get their social cues from what you're doing as well. And if you're working a lot and you're obsessed with your company, maybe they'll take that cue. Natalie, how do you get around that at WildBit? I know that you're. Company is a part of your identity to some degree, and then it seeps into different parts of your life. Can you protect your employees from that and protect their ability to have separation and balance?
1: Yes. You know, in a really practical sense, and this is going to sound funny, but Chris used to send an email on Sundays to the team, and he would say, like, some, he'd have some crazy idea on something. He's like, we should build this. And he started sending these emails on Sundays, and it would always be Sunday, right? Because we had a weekend, and his mind's racing. And then at one point, we're like, you have to stop doing that. Like, you're totally. Freaking chaos, right? It's like I think who talked about that. I, I think Darmesh maybe we talked about that once too, where he like he would like send a bunch of shit around and everybody's like, "You gotta stop!" Like we're or no, it was Heaton and he was like, Shaw. yeah, yeah. He and Heaton said it. and he was like, "You were running it or you know."
0: His heating bombs.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. uh And so I think like you know, from a very practical sense, they say like founders cast a, ba- a big shadow, right? Like, and it's just really truly understanding like what you're doing. Some of that, we just don't let go back and remote work helps, right? But some of it, we just don't let that go back into the system, right? Like we just make sure that the team is shielded. There's one thing though, that I've learned, you know, and outages aside, right? Cause we're, you know, that those things happen, but I found that, you know, now I, I really, I work less than the team. So like those things don't really, you know, they they definitely take a cue for me. But in the early days, when we were kind of really obsessed, we were a very small team. And to be, we were working with people who were really excited about what we were building, right? So there was, we all, I think collectively, to be honest, had to remove some of those habits. Like there's, when there was like five of us, it was a collective, like, I mean, this was a long time ago, right? They were building a product on, you know, in rails and it was like super exciting and it was like oh my god we're gonna do this thing and we're gonna build hosted you know we're gonna host people's code they're gonna think that's crazy we're gonna do it anyway you know like all these things there was this immense energy and we untangled ourselves out of that partially by having lives like everybody started getting married and having kids and realized very quickly that's not the reality that we want but also just slowing down and, and figuring out that like there's purpose and meaning and now it's you know we We take a tremendous amount of vacations, right? Like I, I'm always focusing on the team. And I think my problem now is that i I find my team working more than thirty two hours sometimes. And I have to go in there and be like, "What are you guys doing? Like get out of there?" Like I don't know why you're in there. But their feedback to me has been pretty loud and clear that like you're not my mom. And if I'm really excited about something, I would like to be able to work on the thing that I want to work on. So <laughs> I found this is this was really challenging for me, but I found that I've had to kind of say, As long as it's not consistent, as long as it's not burning out, as long as it's not causing any kind of issues on your family, I'm not going to be your mom, right? I'm not your mom. But like Wildbit can't be setting goals that require you to do more work than we are saying should be done. So if you're doing this work because our goals, our, our timeline, our projects are more Effort or more, whatever than they're than they're supposed to be, then you need to push back. You need to you need to speak up. We need to know that, and we will just adjust the scope, right? So that's that's where I'm trying to find balance. And sometimes those things are tricky, but we're really that's the message consistently over and over again. Is if if the reason you're working more or or you you know you decided to work on a Friday is because you're pushing this thing because you promised to deliver it and it's just not coming together fast enough then no, like we're going to stop that thing, right? We're going to re-, re readjust that thing. We're going to rethink about that thing. But if you're working on a Friday because you got crazy inspired and you're like, holy shit, I figured it out. And like, I'm going to go like, I'm not going to be like, no, please wait until Monday morning at 9 a.m. to touch that. Like, And they push that back on me pretty heavily, which was funny because it's kind of how my brain works too, right? There's moments where I'm like, Chris, watch the kids. I got to go write this thing, you know, and that's okay for me because I feel like that's my job is, you know, it's my business and all these things. And they've kind of pushed back on me and said, like, we promise we're okay. We'll let you know if things are getting out of control. But sometimes we want that opportunity to just be inspired and go do great work. And please don't stop us. That would be ridiculous.
2: Completely agree with all that. I mean, it, true for myself as well, right? That That's why I like this averaging out concept that an individual week spiking is not a big deal. Just you you take it up some other week or you take it out some other week. I do that all the time. I, I'll work on a Saturday because I know I'm going racing next week and I won't be in on, on Friday um, or, or Thursday or, or whatever. So I, I think that makes total sense. And, and, why it's so important to zoom out and look at long-term trends and not be like a, an hour Nazi for like on the per hour basis of it. Just see, is there an overall sustainable trend here? And then to sort of enforce that with um, being what you want to happen. Natalie, as you say now, being someone who, who doesn't work those crazy hours, like um, that there was the same for, for Jason and I, that if we wanted people to take vacation, we had to be authentic about that and take vacation. Like because in earlier years, we had this very uh, misaligned um, or poorly thought out idea of unlimited vacation days. <laughs> so this was in, in like, I think, the early two, th- 2010s yeah. or something. and And what ended up happening was no one took any vacation because they just purely took their cues then from what someone else was doing. And for example, for me. I didn't take a lot of explicit vacation because I was always taking these mini vacations. Oh, I'm going to do a racetrack, so I'm going to be out for two days. So I'm going to be out for two days there and I'm going to be out for two days here. And like that adds up to weeks and weeks out of a year. Um, but it didn't add up to like, oh, well, I was just offline for three weeks straight. So people took the cue that like, well, I should not take two to three weeks vacation. That's clearly not kosher. And when we found that out or at least internalized those lessons, we were like, well, yeah, that's dumb. So now we have very explicit uh, vacation time and just say like, hey, you should be taking this time. Hey, here's some pre-packaged vacations that we've designed for you. You can take them. We're going to pay for them. We're going to do all these other things to essentially encourage you that we're not just saying these things. We, we're doing these things. We mean these things. And I think everything we've talked about, I mean, we're so much in alignment here. I, the, only, the only point of contingent would be to, to back this out to include day one founders.
1: If you promise to average it out.
2: I over promise to average it out, and I'll give you six <laughs> six to twelve months to average it out. Yeah. Over. Um, not twenty years. Um, then I think we're in, we're in complete agreement. And also, again, I mean, accounting for where the time is spent, I think it was a really important point, Nelly. As in, I mean, if you are including like, well, this is the time I spent reading, or this is the time I spent tweeting in general. Um, fair enough. I mean, I was clearly also at fifty or sixty hours. If you took like all the time, I sort of all the influences. Or, or activities I could take that could possibly kind of make me a better executive or make me a better programmer or make me a better human that would make me a better executive and a better um, yeah. better programming. That's, that's probably true. So, I mean, it's not like there's the 40 hours and then all the rest of my time is just laying perfectly still doing nothing, <laughs> right? Like that's not a thing. Not, not with a thing. three that's kids. Not, not a, <laughs> absolutely not. And it's not an ideal I try to sort of uh, put up either.
0: David, most of the people listening to this show are super early stage founders. They're just trying to get their businesses figured out. A lot of them are struggling to do so and probably feel a lot of pressure that they need to work harder, maybe unsustainable hours to get things done. Um, What would be sort of your closing message for somebody who's in that situation and, and has that mindset?
2: Know that it's not a requirement. Know that others have gone through this process exactly where you are now and they didn't work 60 or 80 hours a week. Know that the pressure you're feeling is the pressure of a specific society in a specific moment of time. The pressures you're feeling were not true of the U.S. in the 70s and 80s. It was not true, well, that's actually, 70s and 60s, let's go to that, in terms of executive time spent and whether it was seen as generally a good thing, whether hard work was equated to just more hours, or, or a global thing. Like this is not how people work in other societies on a grand scale. You can absolutely opt out of that. It's going to feel hard and it's going to feel like you might have feelings of guilt. This is society just imposing this on you. This guilt is not built into your DNA. It's not native. It is the product of decades of societal priming. Like you are a product of the societal forces that you grew up in. And America has profoundly unhealthy unsustainable um thoughts on work particularly right now and i think it takes a concerted effort to push that culture back that's kind of what i enjoy doing um bringing a message (laughs) basically saying that like hey we, we gotta realign this we totally can like the current myopia we're in, particularly with startup founders, particularly what they hear out of San Francisco, BC funded companies, and so on, there's deprogramming that needs to happen. Like, if someone is a, was in a cult, they learned like, things that were not true. So, first of all, you got to tell them all the things that were not true, that they're not true. And then you have to sort of take them out of that support system. Like, there's a lot of um, uh, belonging in that, right? There's a lot of belonging to be a unicorn chasing founder because there's just a lot of others like you and it feels like you're all in it and it feels like you have a place to belong. Do you know what? You can find a different place to belong. And I'm trying to like have one place. There's going to be a lot of different places and a lot of different camps. But tech startups in particular have been dominated by the Silicon Valley, VC, work crazy hours camp. And like, we, we have to blow that shit up.
0: Natalie, you have successfully made the transition from being a founder whose life was almost completely consumed by her business to being someone who's found a degree of balance, who's found a way to bring a team into this that also has a lot of separation and a lot of healthy habits. What's your advice for other founders who maybe started off working unsustainably but are now trying to make the same kind of transition that you have?
1: I mean, I don't disagree with, David's perspective on this insane culture and I would never ever advocate an 80 hour anything because I just don't think your your brain is processing fairly or or even usefully. I think for me and, and for any founder starting up like the goal just as in my view the goal should always be profitability as fast as possible. The goal should always be mental clarity as fast as possible because in success highly depends on your ability to think further than the next two days, you know, or the next week. You can't have that mental clarity in your business if you're not really creating space to think. And so I I, I have, in, you know, empathy for those early days. And I think, you know, over this conversation, I think we ultimately come to an average where we agree. But, you know, I, I want to say that in hindsight, what I believe we could have done differently, Chris and I, in our 20 years was spending more time in clear thought, like with clear thought, like spending more time actually thinking about what we want to build and why we want to build it and what those real goals should be and what kind of business I want to be in instead of really thinking about like the product and how we're going to ship it and how we're going to do these things. Right. Those that that the faster you can understand that you've made it, you know, or that you've gotten to the, 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 the minimal that you need, the faster you can slow down or you know or maybe you didn't have to be speeding up all the way there but if you were you know really identify like where did where were you trying to go if that is i just need enough money to support myself well and once you get there you know we'll figure out a way to get there creatively and we can that's a different conversation but you know once once you can do that then you can stop and say okay we're safe now let's figure out where do i want to go what's the best path forward and you can't really do that if you're not clear of mind you know if you're not spending the time quietly thinking about what you want to do and why you want to do it. So I guess you know I don't disagree with David on on most of that. I just think I have a different. Our experience was different in the early days, probably because we really just didn't stop to think about why. Why did we want to do this? What what, what were the ultimate goals? and like how far we wanted to run. And those conversations you should have with yourself pretty frequently. In 20 years, that was not one conversation. (laughs) That is a continuous conversation of like, what do I want to do? I mean, we have this now. We just, we're setting off on the next 10 years. You know, we're celebrating 20 in October and we've just kind of, launched a n- next 10 year strategic plan. So like, here's the next decade. And that's like, that's my promise. I said, I got another decade in me and then I don't know what, what's going to happen. I don't, we might open a hotel or something, but like the next decade <laughs> is, you know, but you can't have those conversations without stopping and creating, you know, quiet space for yourself. So those, those moments where people know us and get really excited about all these things that we do, they didn't come from chaos. They came from calm, times like thinking about stuff and the faster you can get yourself to there i think the faster the the more success will be an option a viable option versus the statistic of failing and whatever that failure statistic is it's so scary
0: natalie david i appreciate both of you for coming on the podcast and indulging me for such a long time (laughs) to talk about this important topic you both have uh pretty cool stuff you're working on uh david in your case a new email product that's not out yet but i'd love it if you could tell people where they can go to find out more about that and also what other things you're you're working on sure it's called hey h-e-y it's hey.com and
2: we are in crunch mode right now it's pretty crazy it's eight hours a day for five days a week so i mean already right there we're working 20 percent harder than uh, natalie's team right um (laughs) and which is funny because that's actually leading up to we launch in april and may 1st we start our summer hours Um, which is also a 32-hour work week that we run in the summer. Um, It's an integrated email service with its own clients and a whole new spin on how to deal with email, making you love email again, if you ever did. Um, It's for people who care about email and and want to see email be a better experience because email is actually wonderful. Um, I've been emailing for, what is that, a good 25 years at least. I don't know if there's any other protocol, perhaps outside of, HTTP, that has mattered as much to me as email does. It has certainly created more meaningful connections to people than any social medium I've ever used. And I just can't wait to share our vision for how to make email lovable in a way that doesn't rely on spying pixels or advertisement or anything. It's just a paid product. It's just an email service that allows you to escape Gmail and, and all these other things and, uh, and love email again. So that's what I've been focusing on for almost like, what's been, what has it been, like 18 months? We're coming up on just the final two months here now of, uh, uh, of running it. I've been using it myself now for a good six months at least. And, and it's great. And if you are interested, you can send a story about email about how the, either you love it or hate it to <laughs> i want at and that's how you get on the uh on the list there's no way you, you can just type in your email address you got to send us a story and about i think 30 or forty thousand people have already sent us a story about how they uh, either love or hate or usually both love and hate email and uh yeah april is when it's coming out
1: who's processing right. those emails
2: We're filing them all into essentially a monster spreadsheet. I think we're using, I forget what we were using, some system where if you send an email, it goes into the system. And yeah, I mean, just reading through 40,000 stories is is something. So we're kind of just (laughs) cherry picking out of it. And it's just going to be the list. And the funny thing is that the gift here, at least as I've heard it from some people who've sent the message, was it allowed them to reflect on what they actually like about email. So it was more of a a gift to the person signing up than perhaps it is that like I'm going to sit down and read 40,000 stories because
0: I'm not. Natalie, the last time that you were on the show, you were in a pretty similar position to David. You had just released a brand new product called Conveyor. Can you let listeners know where they can go to find out more about what you're working on today?
1: Uh, yeah, we're actually working on a f- fun kind of side project right now called People First Jobs, PeopleFirstJobs.com. David's seen it, and uh, we had it's going to launch in a, a hopefully by around April first at the end of at the end of March, and it's a job board, but instead of following jobs, you follow companies. So the idea was that you know we don't hire very often; we're a small company, and People would come and look for a job and then they email us and say, well, if not you, who else? Like, I want other companies like you. And so there was really we want to focus on behaviors and less on perks and benefits. You know, so the what makes a people first company, right? The ability to create a fulfilled work environment, the ability to do deep work, the ability to have this work life harmony, right? All these things. uh, Flexibility and benefits absolutely as well but you know like i think a lot of job boards really don't pay attention to the the behaviors and people ask in interviews or find out too late that these were these companies don't actually create the fulfilled environments that they want so we've been spending a bunch of time talking to tons of companies, talking to job seekers, which has been really fun, and asking questions like, what's missing in a typical job posting? And that's been really fun to, like, those answers are fantastic. So we've been kind of sculpting this thing, um, hopefully launches at the end of March. It seems we're working really hard, but it feels really fun and uh, just special. And we're talking with some great companies. we I had a bunch of companies who signed up who want to be people first, everything from software companies to backpack companies and, you know, other companies that are just really excited. So we'll see. Uh, but it's 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 meaningful work, which, you know, while bits on this, I said this is like 10-year strategic plan and the big uh, realization for us was that while not doesn't, doesn't have to be a software company, it can be a company of just really smart people doing work that they care about. And so for us, everything right now is aligned around defining what that means a little bit more, but to be able to have the products, but also projects, some maybe that make money, some that are meaningful, and then really understanding what the profits are for and then generating them back into other work. So I want to kind of create a double bottom line where we can measure profits from the products and then put them at the top and then figure out how we spend them. So, you know, we have these four day work weeks. What are we doing on the fifth day? 30 people times one day, you know, 10, 52 days. That's a lot of time that could be spent doing really meaningful work in the, for our communities, for ourselves as human beings, for each other. So there's just a lot of fun stuff. So the the plan is starting to come together and it's just been tremendous fun for Chris and I to look again, to understand why and to look into these next 10 years and say, I want to be here. And it's not money that that's fine. Right. But it, what's actually going to keep me here so that I'm really excited after doing something for 20 years. And I imagine David, similar stuff, right? I know you guys were never going to launch another product. And I was like, Oh, we're definitely still going to stay multi product. And then when you guys were like, Hey, I was like, okay, good. Cause this is like you get, you know, you just, Things change, right? We all grow and change. And I think for Chris and I having this opportunity to say, let's let's create a people first jobs because it's meaningful and maybe it doesn't work out, but maybe it's great and it's important to us. So that's just one, but there's a couple projects coming out this year that are the rest are kind of secret, but that the teams had a lot of time to play. So we're still very focused on our products and they're growing really well, but we're having some space for some more fun things. And that's just been wildly exciting.
0: Super fun to hear both of you talk about the way you run your companies and what you're building. And I'm looking forward to using all of this stuff. Uh, Thanks, David. Thanks, Natalie, for coming on the show. Thanks so much. Yeah, this was great. Listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know on Twitter. I am at CS Allen. Feel free to send me a tweet and let me know, know what ideas you have for topics of discussion, guests I should invite on the show, anything you're struggling with as a founder that you want more clarity or insight on. I would love to host a couple of experts to just sort of hash it out and talk through it. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you next time.